Acts chapter 20 as uh, we continue here in our study in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And last week we saw Paul rounding back towards uh, Ephesus and coming to the port of Miletus and wanting to have one last interaction with the elders of Ephesus to bring some instruction and encouragement and exhortation to them. And last week we saw as the elders had come to him that he reminded them of his manner of life in the three years that he was among them. And we went through a whole list of things. I think he gave you a list of seven or nine things of, uh, you know, what highlights of Paul's manner of life. And we looked at that verse in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, where Paul said, imitate me. And so we looked at Paul's pattern and we saw it as something that we are to walk in and to strive in. And we looked at several, uh, you know, it helps for, help, for helping us to walk in that manner of life and abiding in the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit and so forth. But remember, it wasn't just Paul saying, imitate me, but it was Paul saying, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And it's really a pattern of here's Paul following Christ, wanting to get them to follow him, not to imitate him as him, but to imitate him as he was following Christ. And Paul was, again, giving this instruction to these elders in Ephesus that they would imitate Paul as Paul was imitating Christ, that the people that they were ministering to would walk in that pattern as well. Ultimately, not just imitating the elders and Paul, but ultimately imitating Christ or reflecting Christ, being salt and light to a world around us that desperately needs Jesus Christ. Well, we also touched on last week, Paul talking about his manner of life, putting forth the qualifications for what he was going to bring next and reminding them of how he lived amongst them, that he was indeed a true shepherd and apostle because what he's going to say to them next that we're going to look at this morning is so incredibly important. This is no small matter that he brings before them. And we're going to go from verse 25 to 31, and then we'll look at more of what he said to them next week. But this morning we see Paul talking to them about being shepherds that really representing the Lord, really being overseers of the flock of God, which the Lord purchased with his own shed blood we'll see paul talking to them about being innocent of the blood of all men because he was a faithful watchman he'd been faithful to teach them the whole counsel of god and he had been faithful to again bear the fruit of that counsel of god amongst them and then we'll see him this morning again warning them in regards to savage wolves who would come from the outside as well as from the inside looking to draw disciples after themselves and not sparing the flock at all. And Paul really charging them that you need to be watchful concerning these savage wolves. God calling them to be true shepherds, not to be hirelings. Because hirelings run when the savage wolves come. Hirelings don't stand up to the wolves, to the false teachers and so forth, to the predators. And that should be no true elder or shepherd called of the Lord. And so this morning we're going to be looking at this call to be a shepherd. We're going to look at hirelings. We're going to look at savage wolves. 
And again, in looking at this, this is an exhortation for elders and pastors. But remember, it's Paul calling them to imitate him as he imitated Christ. And that these elders would fall in that pattern. That the people that they were overseeing and ministering to would follow along as well. So though we're talking again about elders and pastors here, the application is really to all of us. Because all of us are shepherding in one way or another. All of us are an example to those around us. All of us are epistles known and read by all men. And God wants us to absolutely all be rooted in the full counsel of God and to be watchful concerning savage wolves that run amok in this world that we are living in that absolutely want to devour the people of God. So with that said, let's read our text here this morning. Starting at verse 25 of Acts 20 down to verse 31. And then we'll dive into this and take a few verses at a time. And hopefully leave here just more built up in the Lord Jesus. So he says there in verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up. Speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves, therefore watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, again, notice up here in verse 25, he says, and indeed. So this is something that Paul is stating as factual. He says, indeed, I know uh, as I've been among you and I've gone preaching the kingdom of God to you, I know that you're not going to see my face no more. You're not going to see me again. And, uh, you know, it, setting this up, moving to where we're going, just considering that, that's a pretty bold statement that Paul's putting forth there. He's saying, I know that you're not going to see my face again after this meeting that we're having here. And Paul was saying this on one hand, because practically, again, his, uh, his bags were still packed in the ship that was in the port. He had just come, you know what, for a short time to meet with these guys. And he had his ticket punched to go to Jerusalem to get back on that boat and to leave. And so practically he knew that this was just one last meeting and then he was off to Jerusalem and most likely wouldn't be going back through those parts. So he says, I know you're not going to see my face again. But we've talked about this through the book of Acts that we got to be careful when we are just standing in the practical. Because uh, Proverbs 16.9 says, a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And so we want to be careful when we just say, hey, listen, I know for a fact you're never going to see me again. Remember, we were instructed there, and we looked at this a few weeks back there in James 4, 13 through 16. It talks about when we're giving our plans to always tack on if the Lord wills. Notice James 4, 13, it says, Come now, you who say, 
today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, what your life is. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And so we can ask the question, is Paul boasting here? And saying, I know that you'll never see my face again. You're not going to see me, you know, in these parts uh, anymore after this. Well, it isn't. Because remember in Acts 18, on Paul's second missionary journey, he had stopped briefly at Ephesus, planning to hopefully go back there again. And it's interesting, in Acts 18, 21, he said, I must by all means keep the coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return to you again, God willing. And so when he first had met them, he says, I want to come back. And he said, God willing or the Lord willing, And absolutely on his third missionary trip, which we're still in, God was willing to allow Paul to go see them once again. But see, this time's different. This is what I want to point out here. Remember in Acts 19, 21, Paul had been led by the Holy Spirit to go where he was going and to be doing what he was to be doing. It says there, and this was at his end there in Ephesus, it says, There in verse 21 of Acts 19, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Acacia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And Acacia uh, and Macedonia, again, he had gone through, and now we know the Holy Spirit was leading him next to go to Jerusalem. And you know what? This is something that, We want to be walking in, you know, absolutely. We want to say the Lord willing in all things and we should, but we also got to recognize the Holy Spirit of God wants to lead us in all things. And there's nothing wrong when there are times when God presses something on our heart and we know that we know the spirit of God is going before us in it. And so Paul's not saying this in arrogance, but Paul's saying this in the unction and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. You're not going to see my face again. And listen, with that said, all the more it brings weightiness to the warning that he's bringing to them concerning bringing the whole counsel of God, him being innocent of the blood of men he was amongst them and charging them to shepherd the flock that was given to them to oversee because savage wolves were going to come in. It's a dire warning that he is giving to them. It is something that all the more we got to take heed to because Paul's saying, you're not going to see my face again. And these are the last words I'm leaving you with. That's how important this is. So again, Paul had been among them. They had seen how he had lived. Again, we talked about that. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's not a suggestion, but it's a charge. We're ambassadors for Christ to represent the Lord. And then once again here in verse 25, he reminds them when he was amongst them. And we saw this last week, but he brings it up again and he'll bring it up again. That when I was among you, I was preaching the kingdom of God. Again, not his own message, but the kingdom of God, which was the message of repentance and believing in the gospel of Christ. As the Lord taught, as we read there in Mark 1, 14 
and 15. And the message that he brought to them was, again, that of the gospel, to repent, to put trust in the Lord, to turn from, again, sin, to put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, with that, you know what, you're not going to see me anymore. I've been amongst you. You know how I've lived. I've preached the kingdom of God, and you're going to see my face no more. And listen, the day's going to come when certain people, think about this, they're never going to see your face again. And the day's going to come when no one on this earth will ever see your face again. And hear this, it's going to come sooner than you or me think. Because we just read there in James that our life is a vapor, it appears for a little time, and it vanishes away. And Paul is able to say amongst them that I represented the Lord amongst you. I brought the word of the Lord to you. And I think we need to ask the question, if no one ever saw my face again, what, will I have, what would I have left them with? What's the legacy that I would leave behind? If no one ever saw me again, if my kids never saw me again, if the people in this fellowship never saw me again, you know what, those around us, if they never saw you again, what would they be left with? Would they say, yes, he were, she was among us and they lived godly and they represented the word of God or would they just say, you know what, the same old, they were just the same old, same old. Maybe they even say, oh, I was a swell fella, a swell gal. You know, everyone speaks better of you after you die and so forth. You know, that's usually how it happens. But, but what, what would the truth of that really be? And Paul's leaving there knowing that he had represented the Lord to him, that his hands was innocent of the blood of all men because he had put the Lord first when he was there. And I know when I think about these things, I oftentimes think about Elijah. And not Elijah, but Elisha. We read there in 2 Kings Uh, chapter 13 is quite interesting elijah's passed and there's a man that passed before him or no elijah passed and they put him in a grave and then another man passes and they throw his body in the same grave and his body hits elijah's body and he resurrects and you're like oh trip out on that you know you're sometimes you're in the bible you're like oh trip out on that but there's a lesson in that and the lesson is that elijah's ministry continued to be effective even after he died and Paul would be leaving Ephesus, but his ministry would live, live on there because how he lived amongst them. And so, again, you'll see your, he says, you'll see my face no more. And then notice what he says next to him. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, as Paul had been amongst them, he'd walked in really a five-fold ministry. In Ephesians 4.11, it says, He gave himself to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And Paul had really walked in all those offices while he was there. He had those multiple giftings. He was an apostle who had seen the resurrected Lord. Absolutely, he was an evangelist. He moved in the prophetic. He was a pastor and teacher. And I'll tell you, as a pastor teacher, he was under a stricter or a greater judgment. Pastors and teachers absolutely are. They absolutely are going to be more accountable when it comes to the blood of all men, of those that they are called to oversee. And we, remember, life's in the blood. This is just talking about their lives. James 3.1 says, my brother, let not many of you become teachers, 
knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. And so Paul saying to them, I'm innocent of the blood of all men or I'm innocent concerning your lives. Why? Because I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul understood as a pastor or teacher, he would be judged concerning his handling of God's word. Will he have rightly divided it? Had he brought all of God's word or he just picked and chose certain topics and avoided certain things and twisted other things around? Had him in the case with them. He had brought them again, the whole council. Remember, we saw last week, he says that he didn't keep away anything that was helpful. And talked about the fact that oftentimes there's things in the scripture that are helpful, but when you first read them, they're hurtful, right? It cuts you. But it cuts you to be able to bring new life and to bring new growth and get out that which is the enemy and of the flesh to bring forth the things of God. And Paul brought the whole word of God, every jot and every tittle. He didn't rethink God's word. He didn't pick and choose what he felt the people needed to hear and what they needed to, didn't hear. He didn't reshape his preaching verses on verses, you know, according to the opinion of the day. And I'll tell you, as he warned them about wolves to come, and we'll get more into this, we're living in a day where less and less folks are declaring the whole counsel of God's word and more and more are saying, hey, we need to rethink God's word. And we need to ask, is God's word relevant in this world that we're living in that is really trying to define what's right and wrong based on, based on how they feel and what they think and so forth? Interesting. This is from a number of years ago. I've read this to you guys before a number of years back. And back when this was first stated, it was probably a little bit more of the exception. But nowadays, listen, in this age where more and more wolves have come in, which we'll get to here in a second, this thought that was expressed by this individual on this certain talk show is becoming more and more not the exception, but more and more it's becoming the rule. More and more you're seeing shepherds, if you want to call them that, Moving from declaring the whole counsel of God's word, saying this is God's word, I'm going to declare it all to you. I'm going to bring it as it's written. I'm not ashamed of the Lord. I'm not ashamed of the word of God. Even if I get labeled as a hater, a bigot, narrow-minded, whatever, I'm bringing God's word because I know God's word is true and every man is a liar. This was a, I don't know how long ago this was. I appreciate the date. It was something like five, six, seven years ago. A fellow named, I've talked about him before, Rob Bell. It seemed like he started off okay in his ministry, but he soon began to drift. Before you know it, he began to, pr- began to promote universalism and this idea that everyone eventually is going to get into heaven and so forth, really trampling the blood of Christ underfoot in doing that. And then in this particular case, he was on a, a, a talk show, a gal by the name of Oprah. Have you, any of you ever heard of Oprah? <laughs> So it says, Rob Bell was asked by Oprah when the church was going to embrace same-sex marriage, to which he responded, we're close. Real excited about this. We're close. This, this is a guy who's a pastor, a shepherd. With Kristen adding, I think it's evolving. Rob then explained, lots of people are already there. You know, whoa, 
We think it's inevitable, and we're moments, at which point Oprah chimed in, moments away from the church accepting it? Listen, the Lord said from the beginning, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father or mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. That's God's counsel on sexual relations. One man, one woman, holy matrimony. Everything outside of that is sinful. And if you're offended by that or that hurts you today, I don't apologize for that because that's the truth of God's word. And truth will set you free. These lies damn souls to hell. Rob answered and said, uh, said, Absolutely. I think the culture is already there and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant. And listen to this. When it quotes letters from 2000 years, 2000 years ago as their best defense. This is no scrub. This is a very popular, well-followed pastor, especially back in that time. And here's Paul saying, I'm the innocent of the blood of all men because I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't keep anything back from you that was helpful, which would include if there were individuals there that were wrestling with the sin of homosexuality. Him saying, that's not God's plan. That's sinful. The Lord wants to wash you and renew you. And he wants to set you on a path of restoration in the Lord Jesus Christ. But not with this individual, you know, this learned fellow here that thinks he's smarter than God. The church will be more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2000 years ago as their best defense. And then he says, when you have in front of you flesh and blood people who are your brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and co-workers and neighbors, and they love each other and they just want to go through life with somebody. So he tries to appeal to the emotion of men. No one wants to be alone. Listen, it's better to walk alone with the Lord Jesus Christ than to walk in the world in rebellion against him any day of the week because Jesus is a friend that will stick closer than anybody in this world. And listen, back then this was more of the exception, but now it's quickly becoming the rule. Just recently, a few weeks ago, uh, a pastor named Max Lucado, who has, a lot, has had a lot of fishy doctrine in the last five, six years already. He came out and he apologized concerning this issue of same-sex marriage and so forth. Apologized for things he had said ten years earlier that were very biblical concerning the matter, that this is outside of God's will. And now saying, I want to apologize to the LGBTQ community concerning the way I said those things. Listen, there should be no community of that. That's sin. And yet the church is slowly being conditioned in these things to accept these things. And they are not of the Lord. It's outside of God's plan. It is sinful. It's not that God hates these folks. It's not even to say that their sin is more grave than fornication and heterosexual homo, heterosexual sexual sin. But all of it is sinful. And God's word says it must be repented of. And today will men declare the whole counsel of God's word? Or will they give in to savage wolves that have come in to distort these things? Savage wolves like Rob Bell who want to devour the sheep and bring men to follow himself. Listen. This is on a grander scale, scale than it was back in Paul's day. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul would tell Timothy, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Notice, 
rightly dividing the word of truth. You bring all the word and you rightly divide the word in context. And then he says, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like cancer. And I'll tell you that cancer that has got into the body of Christ of false teachings and false gospels and so forth. Let me tell you, it's stage four in these days we're living in right now. Leaven has been brought into the church and it has spread throughout it. Jesus gave a parable of the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed that gets planted that turns not into a bush but a tree. Which a mustard seed produces bushes, not trees. And then it talks about birds that come and nest into that tree. And some look at that and say, what a grand picture of the kingdom of God. And listen, that's not what that's putting forth. And saying the church is going to become something that God did not meant it to be. Instead of being a humble bush, it would become this boastful tree full of dirty birds bringing in all kinds of doctrines of demons. Listen, this is reiterated throughout the New Testament. This isn't just said in a few places. Jesus, when asked, what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? He says more than anything else, the world will be marked by deception by false Christ, by false teachers, by false prophets that would rule the landscape of the day right before his return. Now, Paul here again was declaring that through his manner of life and through the declaration of God's word, all of God's word, even the things that offend, that cut and so forth, the things that go against the grain of the popular opinion of the day, that he had been a faithful witness and again was the innocent of the blood of all men, of those there in Ephesus. And this is Paul, listen, we need to take this to heart. This is Paul establishing an Old Testament doctrine as a New Testament principle as well. Because this is Paul referring to Ezekiel 33, where God told Ezekiel that he was a watchman. And he says, listen, the watchman of a city And these cities in those ancient times would have watchmen. The city would be walled and they'd have an individual looking on the horizon, watching for enemies. And he goes on to tell him if the watchman sees the enemy coming and he blows the trumpet and says, listen, the enemy is coming and men don't respond. The blood's on their own head. But if the watchman does not blow the trumpet. And he doesn't warn the individuals, their blood would be on his hands. Ezekiel 33, 1 through 7 goes to this in great detail. And this is what Paul was referring to. And really in Paul referring to this, he's establishing the fact that this truth is for us today. In regards to shepherds and elders and bishops and overseers, but also again, This is Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is a principle that's true for all of us. Are we being faithful watchmen? Are we just going along with the world's philosophies and ideas and so forth? Are we going along to get along? Are we standing for the Lord Jesus Christ? And he can say boldly before them, I'm innocent of your lives. He's saying, listen, if you reject Christ, that's on you because I pointed to you to Christ. I've been faithful to do this. I haven't shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. 
Now listen, with that said, there's a lot of temptation today before pastors and Christians and so forth not to declare all of God's word. Again, as we've been touching on, a lot of God's word is offensive. I'm sure there's probably a few of you who have already been offended this morning by the truth of God's word. Listen, if I've personally offended you, you know what, and saying something out of line, forgive me for that. If the truth of God wor- God's word has offended you, I don't apologize. You need to be offended. And you need to step back and consider your opinion versus the truth of God's word. But a lot of folks, they don't want to be offensive. There's a lot of temptation not to declare God's word. If you do that, you're going to have enemies. A lot of pastors know nowadays if you teach all God's word, there are going to be some people, they don't come back. They're going to say, I don't want to hear that. That sounds hateful. That sounds wicked. That sounds cruel. In fact, many will even say that sounds foolishness. That's a fool up there talking. Well, that's biblical too. 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And that's pretty much what it comes down to. It's the power of God or it's foolishness. Romans 9.33 says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And I tell you, the preaching of the cross and Christ, it's an offense to many people. You start talking about sin, it offends many people because they like the idea, I'm a good person. Don't point out my sin. That's a hateful thing to do. And yet we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So you talk, talk talking about sin, a lot of people in their pride who says, I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven, they get offended. When they are all sin and fallen short of God's glory. And then when you bring up the wages of sin is death and hell, then they really get offended. How dare you talk about hell? Listen, God's word talks about hell. Jesus talks about hell way more than he ever talked about heaven. And then you start getting into the shed blood of Christ and the cross, his death, his resurrection. And the fact that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way to God through Christ because only Christ dealt with sin that separates us from God. And he defeated it in his death and resurrection. Then people really get offended. You narrow-minded, bigoted individuals. How dare you say your God's the only God who can save? My God's the only God who rose from the grave. But it's an offense. And then when you start talking about repenting, dying to self to follow the Lord, it's an offense. And Jesus goes on to say in John 15, 18, and 19, he says, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world will love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And a lot of pastors and shepherds and Christians, they just can't accept that. They want to be loved by the world. They want to be liked by the world. They don't want to rub anyone the wrong way. And if that's the case, you're in the wrong business, dude. Because Jesus rubbed people wrong the wrong way everywhere he went. Well, he rubbed them the right way. They said it's the wrong way because they were going the wrong way. And listen, that can't be us. This isn't us. You know, it's not a call to deliberately make people hate you and being obnoxious. But so many times the whole counsel of God's word is not brought because uh, someone might be offended and then they might not like me and then they might not come back and that goes against our church growth program because we're here to be sensitive to everybody who's seeking 
They need to hear Jesus. They need to hear Christ crucified and raised from the dead. In fact, the Lord said in Luke 6.26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And I'll tell you, when you find a pastor who's loved by the world, that's a big, big, big problem. And almost in every case, when you start poking around and looking, you start looking at their doctrine, you start looking at their fruit, you start seeing a wolf. You start seeing individuals wanting to make disciples after themselves, not disciples after Jesus Christ. Talked about many of these guys in times past, not judging their heart, but the doctrine. And many of them, as time has gone by, have fully exposed themselves, whether it's a Carl Lentz from Hillsongs or a Bill Hybels. You don't remember that for years? Willow Creek. Bill Hybels. Loved by the world. He'd use these global, global spiritual leadership things and bring in all of these top-name politicians. It's like, why are these guys wanting to associate with a pastor? Because dude was a wolf. The guy said, you'll never hear the word sin come out of my mouth from the pulpit. That's a wolf. And then it turns out he's, you know what, involved in sexual immorality for all those years. Same with the Carl Lentz, the same thing. All the celebrities running to him and so forth. Dude was a straight up wolf. Stealing from the church, multiple affairs and so forth. And yet they were people celebrated by the world. We love these guys. And Jesus says, woe to you. Listen, when the world's speaking well of you as a pastor, that's generally problematic. Now, hopefully your behavior is upright and they can say, yeah, you know what, they're a good neighbor and so forth. But if the world's embracing your doctrine and your teaching, that's problematic. The Lord said, woe to you. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. That's what they do with false prophets. That's what they do with wolves. And sadly, we're in a time where there's a great clamoring for false prophets and for false teachers and for, again, wolves that shun the offensive and replace it with fables and stories. We've looked at this verse many times, but I'll read it again. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you there before, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and dead as appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Notice convince rebuke no one wants to be rebuked nowadays convince rebuke exhort with all long suffering and teaching and then notice for the time will come and listen the time has come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires because they have itching ears they'll heap up for themselves teachers again heaping up it's not a few folks it's not a few wolves running around it is stacks upon stacks upon stacks. They will heap up for themselves teachers and turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all these things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And listen, these teachers and pastors and shepherds that itch ears, they might not offend men, but you know who, do they, who they offend? God Almighty. It's an offense against God Almighty when we downplay His Word to be accepted by the world. 
It's really of love of self. I want to be loved by the world, so I'll downplay God's word. But are you loving the soul of your neighbor who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you loving the homosexual when you embrace their lifestyle and say it's all good? They shouldn't have to be alone. You're not loving them. You are not. And if you've convinced yourself you are, you're lying to yourself. Listen, when I was out in the world involved in deep fornication and all the things that I were doing, if anyone came along and encouraged me in that and applauded me in that, they were not loving me. There was a few individuals that said, you're in sin and you need to repent. And they were the people that were loving me. I didn't like it when they said it. I knew it was true when they said it. But they were the individuals that were speaking truth. Jeremiah, in his day, was very similar. In Jeremiah 5.30, it says, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule by their own power. And notice, my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? What will you do in the end? When you've just heaped up fables and you follow lies and you do as you will and you're trying to fit it in a Christian container, when you have to give an account to God, what will you do in the end? And I'll tell you that verse there in Jeremiah, it's really a commentary on much of Christianism in the world today, especially in the West. And it's a reason why our nation is in such a mess today. It's because of the pulpits that have gone astray from teaching the Word of God. And I'll tell you on top of this, listen, for the pastor, the elder that does not want to stand in the truth, that doesn't want to walk in the fear of God, but instead wants the acceptance of men, again, there's a stricter judgment coming. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That's pretty weighty there. Now hear this this morning. Here's a positive note. Now, this is all positive. <laughs> a few people out here looking at me saw a ghost this morning. It says, it's far, listen, it's far better to preach the truth than receive some rejection. What's the big deal if some liars don't like you? Some God-haters don't like you? Jesus said in Luke 6.22, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for indeed, great is your reward in heaven, in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. So listen, there is a rejoicing and a blessing found in standing in the truth. On top of that, Jesus said in 8.31 and 32 of John, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Souls get set free when they hear the truth of God's word. When people are lied to and their ears are tickled and they're presented a form of godliness that denies the power, they continue in bondage. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. That gospel that's an offense to so many is the gospel that saves souls and it much must be preached for people to get born again. And then I love this. 
2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction of righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good word, work. And Paul says, I give you all God's word. Even the stuff that offended your, your flesh. Even the stuff that you went, oh boy, that hurts. I brought it all to you because it's all profitable and it's all there to equip you and build you up. And the things of the Lord. And I'm innocent of the blood of everyone there because I brought the fullness of the word of God. I didn't cut corners. Now notice verse 28. He says, therefore. So he's establishing this of what he did amongst them. And now he's pointing them to himself as he was following Christ. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And notice verse 29. Again, take heed to yourself that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit made you shepherds over the church of God. It's God's church, it's not your church. And he purchased it with his own blood. And he says, for I know this, That after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. This is no small matter. So he's saying, therefore, as you being watchmen, as you being elders... As you're called to declare all of God's word, to hold back nothing that's helpful. As you're called to be examples of godliness. You're called to oversee the church of God, which he purchased in his own blood. And with wolves running amok, ready to come in soon as I leave from the outside and the inside. He says, number one, take heed to yourself. He's saying, pastor, elder, and he's saying this to every one of us. Take heed or pay attention, be cautious, be aware about yourself. Any real pastor knows the great holiness of God and the great sinfulness of man and how easy it is for any of us to fall into error. How easy it is to go astray, how easy it is to get off course. How easy it would be for me to fall in those things. We got to be like David who said in Psalm 139, 23, Search me, O God, and know me. Try me and know my anxiety. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He says, take heed to yourself. Watch yourself. Pay attention, as it says there in 1 Timothy 4, 16. Take heed to yourself, to your doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so you'll save both yourself and those who hear you. Watch your doctrine. What are you teaching? Are you teaching biblical truth? Are you going along with the latest wind of doctrine that's not scriptural? Watch your fruits. Oftentimes people talk about being a fruit. I'm a fruit inspector. Well, you better judge your own fruit first. I won't read it all, but in Matthew 7, 17 through 20, the Lord talks about a good tree bearing good fruit, a bad tree bearing bad fruit. What kind of fruit are you bearing? Not just the fruits that people see, but the fruits that are there when no one is around. That's how you know where you're really at. And he's saying, you guys take heed to yourself. 
Watch yourself. Examine yourself. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself. Whether you're in the faith, test yourself. Are you walking by faith? Is there fruit there of the Holy Spirit? Is your doctrine biblical? How about the warning to those in Ephesus? They did walk in truth, and they warned people, and they pointed out wolves. But the Lord says, you've left your first love. Are you walking in love? Or is this sound doctrine, but you're a noisy gong giving it up? Take heed to yourself. Do you just preach the word, or do you practice the word? Do you just point out specks in others' eyes, or do you take the plank out of your own eye first? He says, first thing you got to do is take heed to yourself, because if you don't take heed and respond accordingly, you won't have discernment to see the wolves, and you won't see when you yourself are behaving like a wolf or like a hireling. Proverbs 15, 21, folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding, notice, walks uprightly. Take heed to yourself, pastor, elder, follower of Christ this morning. Are you walking uprightly? Then you're going to have discernment. You're going to have understanding. You're going to see wolves. And then he says, take heed to the flock of God. Pay attention to, be cautious about. Beware concerning the flock that the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer of. That's not a small thing. Now, I know there's a lot of self-appointed ministers and pastors that aren't called of God at all. But listen, there are many who are. And that's of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be doing what I'm doing if I'm not called by the Holy Spirit, if I don't have gifts of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4 speaks of this. Gifts of the Holy Spirit, some being pastor, teacher. And that's a weighty thing. God saves us and the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts. We're going to be accountable for that. That's why he says, listen, the Holy Spirit put you in that place. And so you need to pay attention to this flock that God has given you charge over. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 5, 1. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not compulsory, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not being lords over those entrusted you, but examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. A lot of instruction in here. Take heed. This is a call from God. It's not a small matter. And then shepherd, notice here, and this is huge. And pastors and elders, they got to remember this at all time. To the flock of God. You don't belong to me. And I praise God for that. You belong to the Lord this morning. Ultimately, God's your shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd here just to point you to Him. And hear this this morning, you are so valuable to him. He didn't purchase you out of sin with gold and silver, but with his own precious blood that he shed for you on the cross of Calvary. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21 goes into deep detail about that. Again, he laid down his life for us. And then to shepherds, He's calling them to do the same. John 10, 11 says, I'm the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who is not a shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Paul imitated Christ. Christ the good shepherd. He laid down his life. Paul was there in Ephesus laying down his life. He didn't die in Ephesus, but he laid down his life and that he taught the word of God even when it meant Demetrius would lead a riot against Paul. Paul was not popular with the world in Ephesus, but he was willing to die for that as Christ died for us for the sake of the sheep. And a true shepherd says, listen, when the wolves come along, I'm not going to run, but I'm going to deal with them. That's what hirelings do. That's what individuals do that are there for hire. I just want a paycheck and everyone to like me, so I won't say a word. And I want to teach what the people want to hear, not what God's word says, because I just want a job. And you know what? I want my 401k and so forth. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastors. Pray for those in those places. Notice here, we're almost done. He says, for I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Listen, that's not a small matter. We're talking about the souls of individuals. We're talking about lives. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw disciples after themselves. He says, therefore, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. This wasn't just his farewell. Night and days for, for three years he warned them of this. And then he says, I got to stop and get to my leaders. Get them to me. They'll never see me again. But I got to warn them one last time. If you think this is a small matter, it's not. If you think it's a side issue, it's not. If you think this isn't relevant in the world today, you're wrong. It is. It's all over the place. There's so much false teaching and false gospels that have crept into Christendom. Listen, it's hard to even monitor it anymore. It's just—it's like a, a spider web and leaven that's gone into so many things. He says, I know this, and he's saying this is a, a fact for them and a fact for us. When I depart... These wolves are going to come in. Now, why weren't they coming in when Paul was there? Listen, no doubt they were. Paul talks about this in Galatia, where false brethren came in, and they secretly bought in a false gospel. And Paul said in Galatians 2.5, we did not yield submission even for an hour. Paul been standing up to the wolves. Paul been calling them out. He'd been being a true shepherd. And he says, when I come... They're going to become lining up, and you cannot put up with it. 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 4, where he says, I fear that if someone comes with a false spirit, a false Christ, a false gospel, you'll put up with it. And he's saying, you can't because they're coming in. And notice here, this isn't friendly wolves. This isn't a domesticated wolf. You ever see anyone with a wolf for a pet? It's a frightening thing. I went to someone's house once and they like called their dog and it was a wolf. It was like the size of this stage. I'm like, I want to get out of here right now. I'm very uncomfortable. This is a savage wolf. 
The word savage, it means violent, fierce. They're grave like their master. They'll come from the outside, they'll come from the inside. They don't care about the sheep. They don't spare the flock. They want their own following. And as shepherds called to oversee the church of God purchased by his own blood, you must regulate. You must be diligent. You must call them out and at times name them by names. Even when certain people are going to say, Pastor, you're not being loving. You know how many times I've heard that? You're not being loving. How am I not being loving? Well, you know, you name that name. Do you agree with their doctrine? No, I don't. Well, maybe you should be more offended by their false teaching than a pastor calling them out. Well, you're being judgmental. Aren't you judging me right now? Well, wait a minute. <laughs> so you got a problem with me judging their false doctrine. But you don't got a problem of you judging me pointing out their false doctrine. See how that works? <laughs> so he's saying you got to regulate. They're going to bring in destructive heresies. It says in 2 Peter 2, 1. And in verse 2, it says, many will follow their destructive ways. Again, it's not a small matter. They'll come from the outside. Today, they come through media and books and music and word of mouth and at times through the front door. And then he says, they'll come from among you. Some imposters from the start. I think of Simon the sorcerer earlier in Acts. Others just get in and they start to drift. They don't want to endure sound doctrine. They start to get angry towards it. And so they start to want to raise up a following. They'll start to distort truth. Whether it's the truth of the scripture or the gospels. Of the gospel. And you see this throughout the word. Whether it's legalism or a license to sin. Or in Thessalonica they said the resurrection's already come. John dealt with guys that said Jesus didn't come in the flesh. So many things today from Word of faith, which is witchcraft, put your faith in your words, create your future. To universalism, God's everywhere and everything. I've said this many times, I've given you page and quote. It's in the shack, purpose-driven life, and Jesus calling God's everywhere and everything. That's a false gospel. God was not in me before I came to Christ. This stuff all over the place. And then he says they're also, again... From outside and inside, distorting or perverting the truth concerning the scripture. And hear this, they also do this discerning concerning true shepherds. All of 2 Corinthians is Paul defending himself. Because false teachers had come into Corinth, blasting Paul to make disciples after themselves. And you'll see this at time in the local church. Where there's a true shepherd a true group of elders preaching the word and an individual will get disgruntled they come to the point they don't want to endure sound doctrine and instead of just going away they said i want to take they'll say i want to take everyone who i possibly can with me to come follow me and they'll start to distort, distort truth spread lies little do they know if people follow you you're now accountable for them so where are they now What's going on with them now? 
These are not small matters. And this is why, again, we'll close with this. He says, therefore, be watchful. And please remember that for three years I warned you, night and day with tears. This isn't a small matter, it's huge. And listen, it's bigger today than ever before because I'll close on this. We talked about it at the beginning. In Matthew 24, again, when the Lord's asked what will be the sign of the coming and the end of the age, the biggest sign he points to is a deception. Not just in the world, but in the church. Let's stand up and we'll close in prayer. Lovely Father, we bless you, we praise you, we give you glory and honor, God. Lord God, these, these, these aren't easy things to talk about, God. I'll take pleasure in it, in the sense of the offense that comes. I'd far rather be in a place where everything not only appeals to our spirit, but our flesh, but that's just not the way things work. Our flesh is in rebellion. And it's a rebellious world. God, I know we got to separate and or step back and separate truth from error. And the scriptures from our own opinions. And the word of God from the opinion of man. And so, Lord God, I pray that, Lord, you take this word that we've looked at and just all the more breathe life on it, God. All the more, Lord, help us to be a people that aren't ashamed of you or your word, that are standing in the truth of scriptures. We need your help in it, God. We need to take heed to ourselves, first and foremost. Grant us grace and mercy as individuals and a fellowship and as a people, God. We're far from perfect. We've made many errors. We thank you for your great grace and mercy, God. And listen, if you're here today and you haven't called upon Christ, you've heard the gospel today of sin and death, and yet of life and salvation found in Jesus. And if you haven't called on Him, the Bible says whoever does will be saved. Whoever truly calls upon the name of the Lord, I can't encourage you enough to do so. To ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. He'll meet you where you're at. We thank you, we praise you, God. Just bless right now, God, and pour out as we worship you once again in this last song. Let's worship the Lord. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross love so amazing love so amazing Jesus Messiah name above all names 
blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah. God is good, amen? Well, I just pray the Lord richly blesses you. You have a wonderful day and week in the Lord. Encourage you. We've got like half an hour before the next service. Encourage someone before you leave today. And again, God bless you in the Lord Jesus.